The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Hey everyone, welcome to issue 201 of the Major Spoilers podcast. So glad that you're here with us this weekend. It's a movie issue episode, or issue, as we... <laughs> it's an episode about issues we had with the movie. That's right, this it's week we're taking a look at two movies. Segment. Two movies we're looking at this week. First, there a brand new movie, and, you should feel bad. and then we're going to look at a movie from way before Rodrigo was born. 1982. 1982. Were you born in 1982, Rodrigo? No, I wasn't. 85. You know what? For the first time, you missed your cue, and a flock of seagulls I ran actually came out in 1982, and you didn't do it. Then we established that it was 83? No. <laughs> okay, gentlemen. The let's, was released in 82. Let's uh, talk. Rodrigo and I. Matthew, I take it you didn't see Iron Man 2 yet, right? I have some great opinions on the previews. Okay. Rodrigo? I'm going gonna, gonna to bet that this is a week after, and everyone who's listening to this show probably has seen Iron Man 2, or at least made it an attempt to see Iron Man 2. And if they didn't want to see Iron Man 2, well, they probably aren't downloading this issue just at the moment anyway. So let's talk Iron, Iron Man 2. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts of Iron Man 2? Give me a, a, a gut reaction. Um, I was into it. Uh, honestly, I was... When I went in, I, after watching the trailers, and usually... After watching a trailer, I can tell if I'm going to like a movie or not, because I, I can usually tell if they're trying to, like, mismarket the movie mm-hmm. or if the, the ideas that they're because, you know, they do that. They'll 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 kind of throw a movie out as a quirky romantic comedy and then you watch it and it's actually a non quirky drama that just has a couple funny bits in it. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so going in after watching the trailer, I was like, well, that looks OK. But it's not going to be all that great. Um, and it wasn't as good as the first Iron Man, but I definitely, I was into it. There was never a time when I was like, oh, is this almost over? Or, oh, that plot twist didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. Or that, or for that matter, that scene didn't need to be there. Some scenes could have been shortened or lengthened, but I was into it. Well, Jason B says that his big complaint about the movie was that there were just too many things going on. He says, at least in his mind, that there were seven plot points. Tony suit. Uh, the palladium or whatever that he uses to power to help power the uh, the arc reactor mm-hmm. is killing him, so he needs a cure. The Ivan Vanko storyline is mad because uh, he's mad at Tony because his father screwed him out of the arc reactor technology. Then there's the whole Stark Expo event going on. The U.S. government and Justin Hammer wanting Tony's armor. The roadie uh, betraying Tony and stealing the the Warhammer or what becomes the Warhammer suit. Uh, Nick Fury showing up, or I'm sorry, War Machine. Uh, Nick Fury planning the Avenger initiative and then the semi-relationship thing going on with Tony Stark and Pepper Potts. You know, to be honest, I don't see this as seven different plot points. I see it as one main plot that had a lot of elements feeding into it because you wouldn't have the Stark Expo if you didn't have, um, what's Tony Stark's father's name? Howard. Howard Howard Stark, Stark. Howard Hughes, I keep forgetting about that. Howard Stark wanting to build this world of the future, and a lot of that was based on this idea of the arc reactor technology, which he developed with Ivan Vanko, who then he banished and had kicked out of the country because Vanko wanted to make money with it and Stark wanted to do good with it, which then set up the whole plot point for the uh, the Ivan. Yeah, with Whiplash. 
And so those are all tied together. The whole Avengers thing is, I thought, nicely tied in with um, Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury coming out and saying, hey, I knew your father. I was around when your father was alive. And that's in itself is just a very interesting concept. And you have to kind of, I guess, understand the uh, the Captain America plot point that it'll probably lead into for the next movie. Uh, and then of course the natural betrayal or the natural tendency for the government to want the Stark armor. It all just seemed like, as we were talking about on Tuesday's episode, very political, a lot of little political, both internal politics of a company and governmental politics going on in this movie that culminates with Justin Hammer stealing the trade secrets, whiplash coming out as the big bad, uh, Rhodey and Tony having to come together to solve the problem, and then Tony using the clues from his father that were embedded in the uh, in the plans for the Stark Expo Park to find a cure. I thought it was very well done, and I thought everything just kind of boom, 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 tied together very nicely. But I that's thought just so me. Too. Um, also, you know, going in, I was like, oh, they didn't, you know, it's ter- it's not Terrence Howard, it's not the same guy what's it gonna be like is he gonna try to take the character in a different direction and you know maybe he did a little bit but i was actually really happy with don Cheadle's performance yeah i was i I was i was too i was i was just gonna say he kind of in the very first scene when they're in when they introduce him at the government hearing he almost comes off in his delivery as terrence howard did you get that vibe too um uh, you know, it it didn't really feel to me like he was trying to be Terrence Howard, but okay. I, I think on, I think he was playing the same character, and he probably looked at Terrence Howard's performance and you know got something out of it. But I think he he, he really does make the character his own. You know, the and and granted, this might be because the characters have grown and and also grown together since the last one, but. You know, in the first one, it's kind of like this very playful back and forward kind of thing, mm-hmm. mostly with Tony, like messing with Rhodey. Right. In this one, it seemed a little bit more even and a little bit less playful, but more like, you know, old buds that are really trying to keep each other's heads above the water right. as far as their, their conflicting interests. Right. The um, the timeline, the, the, the timeline that uh, that occurs between Iron Man two, 1 and 2 and the other Marvel movies that have come out. You know, Iron Man 2, if you pay careful attention to everything that's going on in the background, actually occurs at the same time as the Incredible Hulk movie is going on. Because at the very end of the movie, when Tony Stark and Nick Fury are in the room together, if you're looking at all the displays in the background, there's actually a report running uh, talking about the Incredible, uh, some, you know, monster running rampant on this uh, college campus. And it looked to be the exact same news footage that they ran in the Incredible Hulk movie uh, that was taken by, you know, one of the students. So it kind of runs right in there. And then the whole reveal at the end with Thor's hammer means that whatever happens in the Thor movie is going to be interconnected with what's going on in Iron Man 2. Yeah, and that's and that's definitely a good idea. Although, again, I'm I'm a little concerned about when we finally get to the Avengers movie and they have to... Not just while he's wearing an Iron Man suit, but also normally have a CGI body for Robert Downey Jr. because he's sixty. Yeah, well, that's true too. If it gets that, if it gets that far, now there's been some speculation in the way that the movie ended with Nick Fury saying, "Hey, we don't want you to be an uh, uh, an Avenger. We want you to just be a consultant." If that was the studio's way of saying, "Hey, you know what? Robert Downey Jr. may not be Tony Stark, or we may not have Iron Man in the Avengers movie." Did you read it that way? 
I didn't. Um, although it makes sense. Uh, to me, it seemed like there's there's a lot. Like it, it seems to me that Shield has an attitude of its own, and I found this cool. You know, he talks to he talks to normal people. Like Iron Man talks to normal people, and they're like, "Yay, Iron Man!" He talks to the government. And the government's like, "Screw you, Iron Man!" Right. He talks to Shield, and he says the same thing to everyone. He's like, "Hey, normal person, I'm awesome." Yes, you are, Iron Man. Hey, the government, I'm awesome. Well, yes, you are, but we want your, your, your robot head. Hey, Shield, I'm awesome. And Shield's like, you're kind of awesome, but you're not that awesome. And that theme kind of like repeats throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end, it's basically that final, you know what? You're great. We do want to, for all intents and purposes, do something to keep track of you, but you're not that awesome. Yeah. Mm. So, so rein it in. Were there any <laughs> moments in the movie that really stood out for you as these, this is an awesome movie? moment in the movie um i liked the i like that fight scene in which the black widow who's never who's never actually called the black widow in the the movie scarlett johansson Um, character right um beats the crap out of everyone but but only for the for that juxtaposition of she gets she takes down like 20 security guards and a happy um tony's driver takes that takes down one and barely (laughs) Um, that that was I like that, good. and that was a good way to do it because to me that scene would have almost been unnecessary, mm-hmm. if not for the fact that it was simultaneously cool and funny. If they had just done it to be cool, yeah, that would have been fine. Um, there was also one thing where um, the you know the all the hammer bots turn on and start chasing after uh, after Iron Man. He's like, oh, I'm gonna try this maneuver, and in his visor. He's like, okay, I'm calculating this out, and all these rings appear. Oh yeah, um, as he's heading towards this globe that he's gonna try to blow them up at. Right. Now, if you played a lot of Activision games, who very frequently have the rights to Marvel properties, you have played a level in which your character has to run, fly, or jump through rings. Mm-hmm. So if this was this, maybe they didn't mean it that way, but this was very obvious. A here's a scene that's going to be in the video game kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like the mystery part of it. This little aspect of Tony Stark having to figure out what his father means to him in this, in this filmed message that he had never seen before. And that, that uh, Nick Fury was, was trying to give him a message. And then the yeah. whole building of, okay, well let me go to the office and I'm having this conversation with pepper Potts. Oh, there's that uh, mock-up of, uh, of the Stark expo center. And there's a little message on there that says the key to the future, Howard Stark. And I kept, as soon as he walked into the room, I said, oh my gosh, that's a circuit board that'll tell you how to figure things out. I was convinced it was a circuit board, but I wasn't prepared for it to be a whole new element that's created, Starkium or whatever it's called. Yeah, the new element was was a little farther than I expected. I was actually expecting something mechanical. Yeah. Basically something that tacks onto the arc reactor. Right. That's what um, I was to thinking too. To make it too. less poisonous. Yeah. Um, well, there's this whole thing that Tony brings the the whole model back to his uh, to his workshop. Shield has told him that he needs to f- solve the problem of his poisoning before they can talk further. And as he's going through, he figures out that this model is actually a model of a new element that has not been invented yet or has not been created. And his father placed that clue there, knowing that in the future 
the technology would be available to create this bit. And so we get a, I don't know, probably a 10-minute montage of Tony working and tearing up his house to put in this uh, particle accelerator so that he can build this new element to keep him from uh, being poisoned. And then, of course, mm-hmm. that leads to a great reveal of the Captain America shield uh, appearing in that scene as well. So I, I like that aspect of the story myself. Um, oh, yeah. Hmm. Now, my I talked to my brother after after we both watched it, and he said that there was too much talking in it. There was, like, he, he actually said, this is an action movie, it's a comic book movie, it's a superhero movie, there's too much talking, not enough action. And looking back on it, that's kind of true. It didn't bother me, but, you know, think about the montage where he figures out how it works. The montage, basically the montage in which he creates the new element. The amount of time that they spend on his relationship with Pepper, the amount of time that they spend setting up uh, Whiplash, the amount of time they spend setting up Hammer mm-hmm. and his relationship with Hammer. Mm-hmm. Now, these are these were all great. It's it's a well-put-together movie, but I can understand people saying, why am I meeting all these characters who, granted, are you know important to the plot, but why am I spending so much time seeing how Stark's ex-girlfriend reacts to Hammer? Um, and, you know, obviously that tells us something about all of the characters involved, but why is nothing being blown up yet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, they I refer guess. to him as whiplash. Yes. He, uh, yes, they, I think he does. He said something about both, a whiplash technology or something. Both whiplash and war machine uh-huh. are referred to as such in passing, like, um, Rhodey and Tony get in a fight cause Tony's drunk. And wearing the Iron Man suit as, and kind of causing and, and wrecking havoc and, and Rhodey thinks that he's going to hurt somebody. So he gets on like the Mark II armor. Right. And goes and fights him. And Tony's like, oh, you want to be the war machine? I'll show you I, how to be the war machine. See, I could have swore he said you want to be the... says this is the war machine. I could have swore he said you want to be the war hammer. I'll show you how to be the war hammer. That's what I... Th- I could have swore that's what he said. That's why I had said it earlier. He, no, nah, he says war machine. Okay. Sure. All right. Okay. Well, the, the only reason I bring this up is that Anton Vanko was the Crimson Dynamo. Mm-hmm. And from the portion of the movie that I've seen in the trailers, the armors, the, the little robots that show up during the sequence where they're like, we're going to flip down our visors and we're going to start killing things. Right. Look like Crimson Dynamos. Those are hammer bots. And I wondered if, since the the guy is named Vanko, if it was actually meant to be whiplash or if it was a nod to whiplash and kind of a mutated whiplash crimson dynamo thing anton vanko was the original crimson dynamo i think you know i think that's what it is and and when when iron man came out when the first iron man came out i was like okay this is great you know it's iron man versus Ironmonger, but is this the future is this what we're going to see in every movie because really aside like you have two kinds of iron man villains once you've established Iron Man and that Iron Man is possible, you have two types of villains. The ones that are ridiculous, magic, Chinese stereotypes. <laughs> right. And the ones that are other Iron Man and are just basically the same thing with one with a gimmick thrown in. Maybe. Maybe. Because Crimson Dynamo, you know, or the Titanium Man or any of those guys, they're really just more badass Iron Man or Iron Man with more guns or Iron Man with a better armor. Or, or Iron Man, Iron Man who hangs out on the water. 
I, you know, wow. I think they tried to address that at least in some point uh, during the Senate hearings where I got to get Gary Shandling some credit, man. I thought he did an awesome job. Uh, I've been a big Gary Shandling fan forever. But, you know, they said that everybody else is going to want this this technology, this armor suit technology. And so that kind of led into this idea that, yeah, it's not it's not unreasonable to see these hammer bots come up or to see whiplash come up or, you know, war uh, war machine become developed because that's what people want. Now, this this past week, uh, John Favreau has gone on record to say that he wants to do Iron Man three is hoping to do Iron Man three. And he wants to bring the Mandarin in for Iron Man 3 and, and talk about, what is the organization, Ten Rings or whatever? Yeah, the Ten Rings. The Ten Ring organization into it, because that is the organization that helped Hammer get um, Vinko out of prison. Those, those are oh, the people. Oh, that really? Yeah, that's what was revealed uh, that uh, Favreau was saying, hey, we saw him in the first movie. They were the ones that broke him out of prison in this movie, and so he wants to focus them on them in the second movie. And he says it's going to be difficult because... On the one hand, you've got technology that's been run through the first two movies, and then you've, you're going to have, if they do the the, uh, the Ten Rings and the Mandarin, it's going to be all mystic. And he doesn't know how audiences are going to react to that. Probably so, the same way they reacted to this, which is, are there explosions? Yep, there's explosions. Wow. There's the whole big scene at the end that's fighting. I mean, there is nothing there. Uh, before Iron Man 2 came out, I made it a point to sit down and watch Iron Man 1 again. And there's still nothing better than that moment in Iron Man, the first movie, where he builds the suit and breaks out of right. the uh, of the terrorist uh, cave and just blows shit up. And then later on, he realizes that he can become when he develops the what is it, the Mark One armor or uh, or the Mark Three? Is it which one is it? All right, the Mark One is the gigantic one. Right. The Mark Two is the silvery one. Right. The Mark Three is the the one okay. you usually see. Okay. So when he decides that he's going to go up and, and help fight terrorists and does that and starts blowing up tanks the first time that he appears in that armor is an awesome moment. But beyond those yeah. two moments, every time you see Iron Man, you know it's going to have some explosions. And so I'm almost kind of glad that they didn't have Iron Man in his suit as much in this movie as they did, did the previous movie. So Dan Hunter says, I just saw the film last night and was a bit apprehensive going into it because I heard the f- the film was fair to Midland. Overall, I was impressed and enjoyed the movie. Yes, there were a lot of plot points going on throughout the movie, but that's true in- to life. I thought all the threads were handled well, unlike other examples and other genres. For example, Spider-Man 3. A big hats off to showing some restraint in the action scenes. I dreaded the Iron Man versus Whiplash fight at the end as I felt that the Ironmonger versus Iron Man fight in the first movie to be the weakest part of the Iron Man's first outing. I went in expecting to see similar battle suits to be pounding on each other for 15 minutes and was subtly satis- and was uh, suitably satisfied by the outcome in the movie. The fact that a majority of the film was talky-talky uh, than a bit of fighty-fighty followed, followed by more talky uh, pleased me because it's the characters that drive the good movie and not the effects. We'll be interested to seeing if they do go down the demon in the bottle route, although not sure if I can see the seeds of it in this movie. Does getting pissed at your potentially last birthday party sow seeds enough for that particular storyline, especially with the ending of the movie? Oh, and am I right in jumping to the conclusion that Tony was has just invented adamantium? Do you think that he invented adamantium in? Because it's that that new element is never named. Yeah. He, I, I guess, well, you can, you can read anything into it. He could have just invented vibranium too, or any other, uh, 
fictional element from the Marvel universe. I believe yeah. the periodic table goes on for about three more pages in the Marvel <laughs> universe. Um, Demon in a Bottle. Uh, Demon in a Bottle. I don't know if they would ever really need to touch on that because I think that he was as uh, the Black Widow told him in the uh, in the movie. Hey, if this was your last birthday, I would do whatever I wanted to do and not give a crap what anybody thought. And that's what he was doing. So I just see this as him being crazy and trying to deal with the fact that he was probably going to die within the next two weeks if he didn't figure out a solution to his blood poisoning. And well, once, and I mean, it's Demon in a Bottle. Like the storyline is, you know, not 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 a direct equivalent, but I mean, look at Dark Knight Returns for Batman, right? Right, right. That is like one very particular, very specific take on Batman. And although we see echoes of it in the Dark Knight and Batman Returns or whatever it was. No, not Batman Returns. Um, in, in the, in the current Batman movies, you know, with the giant tank Batmobile and stuff like that, it's not the same thing. That is not what people went there to see. Right. So they're not going to go see Iron Man to see what leaving Las Vegas with lasers for, you know, in your hands <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Although that might be kind of interesting, but no, I don't think that we'll, well see actually that. they, they did this thing when, uh, when, Nicholas Cage was was rumored to to have gotten to 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 be in the in the running to play Superman. Right. Um I think Mad TV did this thing that was called Leaving, Leaving Metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Um, where it was <laughs> just like Nicholas a drunken Cage. Superman. Oh, Lois Lane was trying to save him. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rodrigo, so some final thoughts on the movie and a recommendation or review uh, rating. Oh, go see it. If you've seen Iron Man, go see it. Um, if you're going to wait for it to come out on video, I guess that's cool too. Buy it for your dad. Um, he'll like it. Um, that's about all I got. I would agree with everything that you said. I do want to ask one question though. What's up? Uh, theater going experience. Was it a pleasant theater going experience or not? Uh, was it a pleasant theater going experience? My understanding Uh, is you, you watched it in the digital theater. I did. Um, I watched it. Uh, actually it wasn't and the the main reason for that is that the reclining seats were kind of weak yeah so that you, they basically were totally binary and that if you were not touching the the seat it was straight or the back it was straight and if you lean back it would go as far as it could possibly go so by the time the movie started i like you know, that, that area, like right around your sternum, like those muscles yeah, were like tense for me because I was like literally trying to lean back just a little bit and holding myself up. Oh yeah. So those seats kind of sucked. And then after a while, I was just, I just watched the movie basically leaning forward. Hmm. Was the theater crowded for you? What time, what day and time did you go see it? Cause I find this very fascinating. I went to see it on Saturday at seven. So the Saturday after it came out, like the like yeah, one yes. or two days after it came yeah, out, the day after the release, yeah. So opening um, weekend, at seven. Yeah. It wasn't packed, but there were there were people there. There were, you know, I, I think a good way to put it is no rows were filled, but there mm-hmm. was someone in every row. Okay, I uh, I wanted to go see it the midnight opening because I didn't think I was going to have any time over the weekend to see it. Didn't get to go to that because of some. Uh, Cause we had the severe thunderstorm roll through. And my opinion is you don't want to be in a building with a large expanse roof. If uh hurricane force winds come ripping through. So I didn't go that night. Didn't get to go Friday night, but I said, okay, I will brave 
the insane high schoolers and go to the 945 show. I fully expected to go to the 10 o'clock show, and this is you and I went to the same theater, uh, in the digital theater, but I really didn't want to get home way really late. And I walked in and I said, well, how full is the 945 show? And they said, we've only sold 23 tickets. And I said, okay, well, let me give, let me have that one because I'd rather have a theater that's, you know, emptier than something that's packed and noisy and uncomfortable. And so I bought a ticket. And then after I bought the ticket, the guy goes, oh, by the way, the air conditioning is out in that theater. Oh, nice. Nice. And so I was like, ah, crap. And here I thought it was going to be cold. So I wore a jacket and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, oh, if this is a packed theater, I'm going to hate it because it's going to get so sweltering hot. It did not get uncomfortably warm because there were probably only about 50 people in a theater that seats 200. I asked the theater owner who I know, and this is when you people hear me rail on about theaters, he knows my complaints, So he's, but he's still willing to talk to me. He said, surprisingly, he did not see the, uh, the audience that he thought he would see for this movie, and they had two theaters running it in a theater of eight in a town that has one theater that has eight theaters in it. One-fourth of them were playing uh, Iron Man this weekend. So I found that very interesting. Yet at the same time, you know, the movie went on to make more than what it cost to, to make. So good for Iron yeah. Man. So I say go see it, and uh, and if you haven't, well, we've kind of spoiled a lot for you or maybe intrigued you or interested <clears throat> you in going to see it. I would say that the trailers are probably better than the ones I saw for Fantastic Four 2. Maybe not <laughs> quite as good as the ones for Drag Me to Hell. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Rodrigo has to uh, jet off to some faraway city. So we're going to let him go. And when we come back, Matthew and I are going to talk for a little bit about the movie Tron. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to take a moment to let you know about our fine advertisers that we have over at the Major Spoilers website and in the podcast and a variety of other places. If you guys really want to help out Major Spoilers over the next couple of weeks, how about we say between now and the San Diego Comic-Con, what you could really do is take the time and click on some of our sponsors that appear at the top of the Major Spoilers website in that banner area. Uh, this week we have uh, NEC Press uh, running their tick stuff. We'd appreciate if you click on, even if you're not going to buy anything, just click on those banner ads on the uh, top and on the right column. Go check out what those people are offering. Who knows, maybe you'll find something you like and maybe you'll buy something. But at the very least, you're letting people know that you're taking an interest in their products. And you would also help Major Spoilers out in the process. So please do that, won't you? Matthew, 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 Matthew. Coming out very soon, at the end of the year, at the end of the year in December, there's a new Tron Legacy movie coming out that is a sequel to the Tron movie that came out in 1982, was it? Something like that? 82, yeah. Tron. Tron. It's fun to say, like, you are yourself a robot. Tron. Tron. Or like Bit. Hello, my name is Tron. Like Bit, yes. No, with that little harmonic... uh, twist put onto it so yeah like like sound wave give us a rundown of what tron is all about uh, amazingly rodrigo tron. has never watched tron otter disaster who does the major spoilers adventures has never watched tron i watched tron years ago when it was either on hbo or on videotape and only watched it that one time i watched it again via netflix in in uh i think it was high definition yeah, maybe it was just regular netflix. dvd uh just the other day and so you, I think, said you own it on DVD. So give us the rundown of, yes. of Tron. Tron is actually one of the first movies that extensively used computer animation. Um, the basic breakdown of Tron, it's the story of a man named Flynn, Kevin Flynn, played by Jeff Bridges. Flynn is being 
blackmailed. Well, not so much blackmailed. His his work, his creations are being stolen by his boss. And his boss is creating this evil program called the Master Control Program to break in and take over the White House and, you know, NORAD, whatever it is that he wants to do. And as part of trying to find and prove that his work is being stolen, Flynn gets digitized and inserted into the computer reality of the mainframe, his company's mainframe, which is then run by the Master Control Program. And each program is essentially encapsulated as a person. And it's kind of cool because the programs have the features and basically the the visuals of the people who programmed them. Right. So Bruce so Boxleitner, right. Bruce right. Boxleitner, who plays Tron. Also plays Flynn's friend, Alan, on the outside. Yeah. And Tron looks just like Alan. And his girlfriend, Lori, has a program called Yori, and she's not very creative. And, of course, his <laughs> evil boss has not just the master control program, but an evil version of himself called Sark. Yeah. And Sark basically is throwing programs and converting programs to the master control program to try and take over the world. So Flynn, as a user, as a human, has to help the programs overcome one of their own. And eventually, at the end, it's discovered that, you know, he, he makes it public with the help of Tron that his work is being stolen and that his boss is a bastard. And I think at the end of the movie, he's the, the new president of the company. That's what it's implied, on, yeah. Yeah, based on the wonderful work that he did. The MCP, of course, is taken down, and it's it's all really cool. And some of these sequences, like the light cycle sequence, mm -hmm. to this day are still seminal works. There was a Family Guy joke two years ago about Tron's light cycle sequence, a 27-year-old movie. Right. You know, there are some interesting, you know, the, the, the plot and the story of Tron is, ver is very basic. Flynn gets digitized. He's a user. He has the ability to essentially control everything very easily. The programs, yeah, the, the programs, programs can't. don't all believe in the users. Right. Uh, Tron and, is kind of like a religious leader in that he's trying to get them to believe in the users and the greater right, reality. Right. But the, the basic plot is Flynn gets digitized and he has to get out from being digitized. And right. so in, in order to do that, he goes from being a, uh, essentially a slave to battle in the games which is where the light cycle comes in to an right. escapee to the flight scene to the yeah. uh, hero at the gates or, you know, crossing the threshold and then eventually getting back out of the system as a change man. Very, very, I mean, a very, very basic plot, in my opinion, to the point where oh, at yeah. times it really seemed to drag. But at the same time, I can't help but see the the Disney influence in the story in these really weird kind of. I don't know, trippy moments, this part where they've been fleeing for so long and they stop at this this pool of water and they re-energize themselves is very Disney-esque. Well, and to some degree, much like Star Trek The Motionless Picture, the computer effects for certain sequences are kind of the point. Right. So I feel like a lot of a lot of the drag for me comes when they're like, look how pretty we're drawing, mama. Right. You know, they're showing off what they've done. Right. You know, well, the, the big battle and the point uh, where he derezzes the ship. Right. You know, those sequences go on longer than they, they probably should have. Yeah. Just, just to show off the wonderful new technology. As cool as the 3d technology was at the time, it does. Number one, it does not hold up today. And number two, 
even as you were watching this in 1982, I'm surprised that you wouldn't sit there and go, wow, there's a lot of inconsistencies in the graphic style. There are times where the light cycles are fleeing and they're the yellow, red, blue, and other times where they're totally gray. There are times when they're flying over the landscape and instead of this populated city that we've seen the entire times, it's this great expansive plane that's using a, a, like a four-color rendering uh, to light it, light it. These little plane droids that pop up bear no resemblance to any other technology that we've seen in the game. And it's just it just seems very inconsistent throughout. Some of the stuff, it looks like it was rendered on an Amiga. And other times you could tell that, hey, these guys were running, you know, like the uh, the solar sail and the Tron cycles. Those scenes were rendered with a sun station. And it's just when you mirror those, when you uh, try to blend those two together, it just to me really fell apart as far as the the consistency goes or or, uh, not consistency, but the uh, continuity goes of the graphical look of the movie. And that just just drove me up the wall. That was the one thing that drove me up the wall. The other thing is this, you know, this was a groundbreaking movie and they did a lot of stuff that was radically different at the time, including trying to get these people to light up and look like parts of the computer system. And so if I remember correctly, they did a lot of filming under, I want to say they want to filmed it under black light so that stuff would glow. But this had the effect of making everyone look black and white or actually look, um, let's see. Uh, live action scenes in the computer were filmed in black and white on an entirely black set and then printed on high contrast film. And then they had to go in and rotoscope everything, which in itself is a nightmare. And then I, and then they had to, yeah. And so I can understand that black and white stuff. Uh, but man, some of that mirroring, some of the keying that they did was really poor keying where today you'd be able to see the edges kind of jumping around and a lot of time they had problems with lock. And I think the lock, and what I mean by lock, is that the foreground element looks like it is perfectly matched to the background element. And I think just because of camera weaving, and this is where the process where the film actually can move back and forth in the camera, <laughs> and that they were actually uh, mirroring it onto something that was a stable computer-generated image or a, or a painted plate, at times it looks like they're standing still, but their bodies are moving back left and right just slightly on the on mm-hmm. the screen to where it became really annoying for me. So from the technical side, 1982, there were some great visual breakthroughs, but it does not hold up today, and it is... How do I put <laughs> this? How do I put this? It's bad. It's not bad. For one thing, everything that you've just described is aesthetic, cosmetic. Right. As someone who has similar, albeit not as in-depth experience and background as you, those problems were present, but I think they were less of an issue for me because you have to take this as kind of an artifact of its time. You can't say, you know, well, in 2010, I this movie. No, no, no. Laptop. And I, I probably could. Right. But I, I think that to some degree, like I said, parts of it, especially, you know, some of the, the, the light cycle sequence and the big flight sequence mm-hmm. are about what can we do? What can our artists create with this stuff? And to some degree, I think that the artistic statement over really kind of wrote a check that their technical specs couldn't cash. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I mean. Back then, this was a breakthrough, and I remember seeing this when it was on the on the HBO or the VHS. I know I didn't see it in the theater, 
But I was just like, wow, this is really cool stuff. I mean, The Last Starfighter, you watch that today, and The Last Starfighter was the first movie that employed 3D graphics, 3D special effects in it. And even today, you look at it and go, my God, I thought that was cool back then. Yet in 1981 or whatever year uh, Last Starfighter came out, I was like, this is too freaking cool. Look at that starship. That is awesome. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about 1982 technology going on in here. Uh, Last Starfighter 1984. Uh, there's something right. very cool about what's going on in Tron for then, very much like what Disney was doing with uh, the Black Hole, which we've talked about before. Uh, yeah. There were some very different, you know, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can experiment with. And I do give them credit for generating some very cool things. But I think in the rush to try to do some very cool things, they overlooked some stuff that like the the continuity consistency between all the graphics uh, before all, between all the animation was a little off putting. I can forgive the lock because that's the uh, the the characters not locking to the background because that's actually a a technical issue that probably would not have been able to be resolved until twenty years later. So you know I can well, I can see that, but to stand up today, you look at some of the graphics that are coming out of Gron, uh, Tron Legacy and the trailer that we have up on the Major Spoilers website for Tron Legacy, and you're like, wow, that looks pretty cool. 20 years from now, we may be looking at that going, what a piece of shit. I don't do that. Well, <laughs> I, might. I, I, I don't look at this film and think, you know, oh, that didn't work, and, and man, I can, and that didn't work. What I think about are... It kind of like we look at Star Wars, and Star Wars is part of the hero's journey, you know, that right. mythic moment. That right, right. I feel like this is more of a story about Flynn and Flynn discovering through machines and through, you know, computer programs that maybe he's not taking the most advantage of being alive. So there's, I mean, there's messages within the message. If you take, oh, yeah, you I agree that, with you. I think that a lot of people look at the computer graphics and they think that, you know, that's all this film has to offer, that it's, you know, it's it's food and sex and spectacle and we're all going to die and it's, you know, the fall of Rome or whatever. But there's, you know, something a little more going on here than just we hired 60,000 people to sit and draw lines on the people. But I I have to say that some of the performances, David Warner's performance as Sark. Holy yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that performance. Um you know, you're talking about themes that run throughout it. I was really surprised, and it, it didn't hit me the first time I ever saw this, but the sheer amount of religious theme that goes on. Is there a god or is there not a god? And, you know, Tron and other programs go around proclaiming about the user, and then Sark and the Master Control, the MCP, are sitting there going, there is no user, there is only the MCP. You know, there is but no god. Sark- Sark knows that Flynn is a user. Right. And Sark actually almost hesitates. Yeah. Yeah, The master control program has to order Sark to destroy Flynn. And that's interesting to me in that the villain has doubts. You know, if if Sark is Darth Vader, the MCP is the emperor. Mm -hmm. And Flynn, you know, I, I, I will know my master. You cannot kill my son. But. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you mentioned. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned some Star Wars because I kind of felt that vibe throughout the storytelling process. But yeah, this whole aspect of Sark realizing that this is their god and he's being asked to destroy the god. And then the whole um, uplink. uh, Who was that guy that played the uplink guy? Uh, Is it Bernard Hughes? The old guy? Yeah. Um, You know, the whole aspect. I was I was confusing with Art Carney. Yes. Yes. That's who I thought it was at first. But, you know, he looks like Art Carney. 
But the fact that, you know, he's acted and treated as a essentially a bishop and is this religious and the fact that before he allows Tron to go into the uplink port that they essentially say a prayer and you see them praying there. I just found that fascinating for a Disney film to include in a, especially in a Disney sci-fi film to include that religious aspect to it. It's interesting and it's weird. Yeah, it's, but it really kind of works too, you know? And when I look at movies, it's natural for me to, you know, like, like Iron Man, I look at that and I'm like, well, that's Jordan two Delta and that's Randy the Ram. And you know, the main character is Morton Downey Jr. I think of things in other characters that people have played but when I watch Tron, I don't look at it and I go, wow, that's the big Lebowski fighting against the evil Klingon from Star Trek VI. Yeah. I got drawn into, you know, to the whole point of, and it may be, you know, granted, I ha- I saw this film first. So maybe the big Lebowski is actually, you know, Flynn to me, or maybe the guy from Bring Him Back Alive is actually Tron, mm-hmm. Scarecrow and Mrs. King, whatever he was in. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I was drawn into the story and even with any technological issues 20 30 years down the line it's still fascinating to look at and it's you know the the you know the tanks sark's mm-hmm. tanks mm-hmm. and the iconography of the way those tanks fly and the way they move god that's fascinating to look at yeah and the so, light cycle sequence is just fascinating to look at right certainly from the theme and from the story elements there's things can can be learned from that and certainly from the special effects standpoint 20 years later there's some things to be learned of what not to do now, Indeed. I don't know how carefully you pay attention to uh, the background elements or things that are going on around the characters in the movie, but there are a, a couple of very clever Easter eggs that are scattered throughout this movie. The first one happens when Sark is talking. Uh, it's early on when he knows that Flynn is around and that Tron has escaped. I kept hearing this Pac-Man sound in the background. I was going, what in the hell are they running Pac-Man for? And then you look up at the screen and way in the corner on one of the main uh, viewport screens that Sark is standing right next to. You see Pac-Man sitting there, waka waka walking on on the dots and ghosts running around and, and cherries in that corner of the screen. I was like, well, that's bizarre. Unless, of course, you're trying to think that the Master Control has actually infiltrated the Pac-Man game. Right. He's Dis- controlling everything. Yes. Disney is notorious for dropping, and especially at the theme parks, they are notorious yeah. for dropping Mickey Mouse heads uh, into the theme park and sometimes into their movies. If you look for them, these hidden Mickey's and in the solar sail sequence, there's a part where they are <laughs> sailing over the background and they sail mm-hmm. right over the head of Mickey mouse, you know, a silhouette of Mickey mouse down on the ground. And I was like, well, that's pretty blatant that this is a Disney film. Bring me the head of Mickey mouse. Did you, did you uh, come across any, any tidbits of interesting stuff I in this movie? Really did not. And Again, I was drawn in, and I'm just like, ooh, pretty. <laughs> but there's also, you know, the the question to me of sometimes you get into a movie and you're thinking about, like, for instance, Watchmen. You're thinking about, this is a good movie, and I like that bit, and this is a little bit different than the, than the comic. And, you know, I don't like what they did with Sally there, but the John sequence was excellent. When I'm watching Tron, I'm like, Woo, Tron! Oh, man! Oh, wait! Go, Tron! You know, I'm like Rodrigo. Go die hard! Yeah. You know, I I didn't analyze it so much as I sat and just kind of enjoyed it. Uh-huh. And I, the last time I watched it was, you know, actually sometime, uh, I want to say in March. It wasn't that long ago. 
I okay. didn't watch it again this week because I had just seen it. Yeah. Yeah, this is one that I I'm I will say that I'm I'm glad I don't own it on DVD, but I can understand the fascination with people who want to own it on DVD. I have not seen The Black Hole since it was originally in the theater. It's one that I kind of wouldn't mind wanting to see again, but I have a feeling that I'd have the same reaction to it as I do with Tron in that wow, I thought that was really cool back then and it was back then, but it mm. may not hold up so well. So mm. Uh, there is one big problem that I have with Tron as it relates to the Tron legacy movie, and I don't know how they're going to explain it. Well, I have one way that they can explain it. You and I talked about it before the show in the movie, in the main Tron movie at the end, Flynn gets out of the system and he exposes, uh, his boss for being the ass that he is and proves that all of his games were stolen and he becomes the multimillionaire president of the company or we're led to believe the multimillionaire president of the company, and that's where the movie ends. In Tron Legacy, and in some of the uh, plot points that have been leaked, and of course certainly some of the uh, viral campaigns that have gone online, in Tron Legacy, Flynn is missing, and he's been missing for 25 years. And we find out that Flynn has actually been living inside the, um, inside the server. And so the question that I'm going to have is how do they tie the ending of the Tron movie into Tron Legacy? Because the the only way that I can think that they could do it is to say that he only believes that he was exported out of the the Matrix, for lack of a better (laughs) word, and has been living the past 25 years inside the server, and he knows it by the time Tron Legacy comes out, and that's why he's able to shape the world and become the super user or whatever he is. But Mm -hmm. really, I have a problem with that, because if he were really outside of the server and living in the real world, then the graphics wouldn't have been that good <laughs> for 1982. Well, and you also, you know, if you link, if you link and you think about it, this movie took place in 82. Right. What if somewhere down the line, five, six, seven years later, Flynn got tired of real life and jacked back into the game and never came out. You say, you know, you say 25 years ago, 25 years is actually not quite as long as 1982. Yeah, and that's that's true. And that's where that's where the missing part is going to be weird for me because this server from all the reports that I've seen and the, and the stuff that I've that I've read have that server not connected to the internet. It's sitting in the in a secret room in the back of Flynn's arcade and it's just sitting there running for the last 25 years. So yes, maybe at some point he thought it would be good to jump back inside the system and live in there. So that could be it. That maybe that's the answer. It'll be interesting to see how they make that connection. Yeah. And, and I think there are ways to do it where it makes sense. And honestly, some sequels don't make sense. I mean, Empire Strikes Back takes place several years after the Battle of Yavin. Right. Has to. Right. So, you know, it, it could be, you know, you figure all this stuff happens in 82 and in 1986, he gets upset an episode of the A-Team <laughs> and beams himself back into the Matrix. You know, these things I, I would happen. be happy. I, I would be happy if they did that. I just hope they don't undo the ending of the first Tron movie and say, oh, no, he's been trapped in there all this time. He just thought he was on the outside because then I would have yeah. a real problem with that. Well, it's hard to say. Now, is this movie completed? No, it's coming out in Christmas. They're, I believe they're finished shooting, 
We've seen uh-huh. pictures of the new light cycles and the new uh, light car that's being shown. We've seen a very incredible look at a very much older Jeff Bridges and his younger self as the computer programmer, the younger Bruce Boxleitner as the as the original Tron, and his older self all in these weird trailers. And it just is kind of freaky. I got to tell you, it's freaky and it's dark. It is a very. It looks like it's going to be a very dark movie, not this uplifting, optimistic thing that we saw in the original Tron. Hmm. You might you might go up to major spoilers, Matthew, and check out some of the trailers and stuff. Just do a search for Tron Legacy, <laughs> and you'll see everything that we have up there. And listeners too, because if you haven't been following, because we've been, I think, doing this for like the last year and a half, following yeah. bits of Tron on and off, back even when it was called TR Two N for Tron. And and I, you know, it's, I'm going to be very interested to see it because I do want to see what happens. And the reason why I suggested we take a look at this movie is because before we know it, it's going to be November and December and everybody else is going to be talking about Tron. We thought we'd try to talk about it first and at least put it in some context and give everybody a chance to go out and get it off of Netflix before it's backed up in the queue for, for 20 months. Cause I have a feeling there's going to be a spike in the weeks and months leading up to the film where people are going to want this to see what does this movie have to do with the upcoming movie? Uh, boil it down for me, Matthew final thoughts and, and a recommendation. Break it down. I wish I had the costume that Tron guy wears Cause I would wear that everywhere. I would be like, yeah, I am Tron. And, you know, eventually they would have to truck me away. But (laughs) there are a couple of things you'll have to set aside with Tron. You'll have to set aside the Steven in your head telling you that the frame (laughs) interlace rate is just not right and that that sequence did not lock and somehow the traveling mat was in. If you can get past that and if you can get past the fact that movies in 1982 were a completely different experience. Right. You know, if you're willing to give it a chance and sit down for the narrative and go, all right, I believe that the big Lebowski is a genius computer programmer. I highly recommend it. I recommend it to anybody. It has not aged perfectly. There are things about it which have aged very badly. But if you look at, you know, say 1982, what other things came out in 1982 that might have aged badly? Uh, that, uh, that cheese that I bought in 1982 has not aged Indeed, very or well. the Atari 2600. Atari 2600, uh, uh E.T., did E.T. come out? And Ronald Reagan, he did not age well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Temple lots of, of Doom. things about 19- Temple yeah, of exactly. Doom, that actually kind of holds up, but I, th- no, that came out in 84, so we're talking 82. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1980. When did Empire Strikes Back come out? 82, I think. No, 80, 80. 1980. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's that's held up pretty well. I believe, did the thing come out in 82, or did it just take place in 82? The um, the film, the thing? The Kurt, Ru- the Kurt yeah, Russell movie. Yeah, the Kurt movie. Russell movie came out in 1982. Okay, so I mean, the thing has aged kind of well? Yeah, you know, to it, a point, yeah. I think the problem is, and I, I, I guess my problem is, and this is a problem. This is not a problem with this movie. It's a problem with every movie that attempts to show technology. The fact that audiences believe that this is what was going on in the computer world or that this is what we perceive to be going on in this computer world at the time is ridiculously silly. 
Just like when you watch the Sandra Bullock movie, I think it was in 1994, 95, The Net. The Net. That is ridiculously she, silly. She logs into the net. Well, it's true. But, I mean, if you compare it, I, I believe Porky's came out in 82. It's it's aged better than Porky's. What's the <laughs> one where um, where the kid from Scream is a super hacker? and Hackers. There's this, yeah, hackers. Is that the one? Yeah. That it's, was it's Angelina Jolie showing her boobies before she decided that, exactly. I don't want to show my boobies anymore. Believe me, yeah, that was the, one think, of the first DVDs I bought. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, any any movie Beast any Ma- movie that tries to portray Beastmaster technology came out in 82 and Beastmaster has not aged as well as Tron. I'm sure Sheena the movie she oh, that came out in 1984. 84, yeah, Creepshow uh, was 82. And Tanya I Roberts think. has not aged well since 1982. She has not aged badly though. She was no, hot no, on that show. Yeah, yeah, she's all right. Um but I guess I any movie that portrays stuff. any movie that portrays technology is eventually going to be looked at as Ridiculous and silly. It, yeah. And even today, when you watch an episode of 24 and they're doing the things that they do on 24 with technology, people in the know have to be sitting there going, what in the heck are they talking that there's no way that this is even possible technologically. So I have that. I have, you know, aside from the technical issues and technology portrayed in this movie, the story is fine. It's a fine story. Yeah. And so I would recommend people who are wanting to go see Tron Legacy, check it out from Netflix. Don't buy it. Just rent it. And I tried to look on iTunes. It is not available through iTunes, although I have suspect that before Tron Legacy comes out, that movie will be available through iTunes because Disney and Apple are owned by the same person, essentially. You know something that from 82 that has aged well? What's that? Billy Piper. Billy Piper. (laughs) Billy Piper. (laughs) I'm just saying. <laughs> Flock of seagulls. Her technology is still up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, okay. I'll give you Belushi credit on. died in 82, so. Oh, Billy Piper. Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Rose Tyler, best companion ever. I wanted to come to the alternate universe. Yeah, Belushi did girlfriend. die in, uh, in 82. Um Blues Brothers came out in 1980. I was 12 in 1982, or at least for part of 1982. That would have been the year, basically, right about the time that I discovered comics, actually, 1982. I I would have to go back and look and see what year that World's Finest came out, but that's when I really took notice, although I had been, I had had several issues of the Star Wars comics that we mentioned before in a previous episode, so... Matt, we need to do the Star Wars comics because we need to talk about Jackson, the Green Rabbit Jedi. I want to talk about his uh, companion, Hot Sidekick, the uh, the bikini clad. Her name What's was her actually face? Hot Sidekick. Yeah, I forget what her name was, but I was, it was like, in the name, it was like three three eyes and Hammerhead and Hot something Sidekick, li- something like that. But yeah, we'll we'll have Pompl- to look at that in a future show. Pomplemousse la tête was her name. One of the things that Matthew and I had discussed for next Saturday's ah! episode. <laughs> Sorry. We are going to just next Saturday just review and look at a bunch of books that we've read, but we haven't reviewed either on the podcast or up on the Major Spoilers website, more or less, uh, including some of the ones from the retro views. Because, you know, I want to talk about what's going on in uh, Red Robin. I want to talk what's going on in Invincible. I want to talk about some of these indie titles that I haven't read. So we're going to do that next next Saturday on the show and next Tuesday on the show. We're going to go back into the world of Warren Ellis. We've done done uh, some of his titles before. We're going to be taking a look at the Absolute Authority on Tuesday's episode, or I guess Wednesday's episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. 
If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East With a gang sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010